namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa aparuta de sangamata satavara ye sodavanta bamunjantu satang It's good to see so many people assembled here in the sala. I've been back at Amaravati for a little over a year, and this is the first day that the sala has been open for Dhamma to everyone. And so the fears of pandemics, COVID pandemics, and the disease perceptions we have to live with these because this is the way that, that this operates this human existence is about birth old age sickness and death so when we just think of birth old age sickness and death is is our fate then it is that we can get very depressed and see see the kind of life is pointless so many delusions we can create in the mind about the purpose of life and and the meaning of life and uh, how it should be and we can create images of perfection with our thoughts about how perfect government should be a perfect man a perfect woman perfect society perfect monastery and so we we have this we get attached to these perceptions that are beautiful you know if when we take our ability to use superlatives to extreme then it it's the best that you can possibly think but it is just a phenomenon it's not possible to attain perfection in the conditioned realm like the bodies that we're experiencing right now sitting here listening to me you know they were all born in the past so we were told that we don't I don't at least I don't remember being born <clears throat> because when I was born I didn't have a language I didn't have a memory of a past or of experience so there was consciousness and a human form of an infant's form born and that infant's form then will grow up get old get sick and die and that's the way it is so the buddha in his wisdom was trying to point to the the unborn what isn't born 
the deathless reality. And in doing that, of course, when the whole social conditioning, the ego, the sense of uh, identity with, the, with, the, with these bodies, and all the conditioning we've experienced through cultural, social, religious conditioning, and our own ability to think in various languages, all these conditions we tend to grasp and identify with. And therefore, we, we're grasping things that are impermanent and unsatisfactory. And so that's why the Buddha in his first sermon used suffering as the first noble truth. Because when we grasp what is not what, what is born and what is inevitably going to grow up, get old, get sick, and die, when, when that's all we know and all we identify with, then our life is uh, seemingly unsatisfactory, uh, fear of death, loss of loved ones, pandemics, diseases, misfortunes, Old age has its problems. And in an ideal world that we can create, we live in an eternal spring of being forever young. So that is an ideal that we create with words, but that's not Dhamma the way things are. So the way things are is easily summed up in all conditions are impermanent, unsatisfying and not personal self, not a personal independent entity. Anicca, dukkha, anatta. So these are words of wisdom pointing at the way things are, characteristics of all that exists, whether it's the sun, moon, stars, whether it's far away galaxies that we can barely see, or just the reality of sitting, standing, walking, lying down, and breathing. What's closest to us, the bodies that we have to live in till it dries. So we, when we talk about meditation now, we're learning to reflect in a different way, not on how to attain a perfect state as a separate person, how to create a perfect society that we, you know, will inevitably have to leave and, and even as it reaches its peak of perfection, it's, it can't sustain that kind of uh, conditioning because all conditions are impermanent. So this, this is learning to wisely reflect on the way things are. It's not taking a position, another opinion or conception and grasping it, but taking the, the simple word impermanence and investigating it as we experience it in daily life. So wisdom is 
the teachings of the Buddha in this way are wisdom teachings, but just grasping those teachings is not necessarily wisdom. The wisdom teachings are pointing at wisdom that is here and now and which is available to every one of us. So if we just say the Buddha taught all, everything is impermanent, unsatisfactory, and non-personal, not self, that's certainly a good reflection, something that's rather good to think. But the point of those teachings are not to be grasped in themselves, but references to the way things are that we can actually witness. So when we talk about meditation, the word has many connotations. It can mean any kind of kind of mental exercise, or, or so it's a, a word that is commonly used these days. Bhavana in the Pali tradition is through developing awareness of the way things are. Not just saying, well, the Buddha said everything is impermanent, so it's impermanent. That's becoming a, a loyal to Buddhist teachings. But the teachings themselves are conditions unsatisfactory in themselves unless they're used. You know, the whole point of bhavana or meditation is to use those teachings for investigation the way it is here and now. So at this this very moment, sitting is like this, breathing is like this, the state of mind, the mood that you're experiencing individually is like this, the breathing is like this. So it's this way of reflecting and witnessing, just noticing, taking the witness position to realize Dhamma for yourself, realize ultimate reality, is one of the gifts of our humanity. We, have, we can actually awaken to Dhamma, to reality, to ultimate reality, not the, the reality we conceive or perceive, but ultimate reality, supreme reality, or Dhamma. So consciousness, what is exactly this strange condition we, we, we call consciousness? You know, so we're all experiencing consciousness right now. Whatever state you're in, physically, mentally, emotionally, consciousness is here and now, and so here and now is where the consciousness and the ability to reflect on the way it is, it's like this. So we investigate impermanence, how everything changes, the weather that we witness daily here at Amravati is like this, 
and then we we create images of what we you know think of it's cold and wet or cloudy or we appreciate it when the sun comes out we how the mood changes according to whether it's sunny and warm or cold and damp the mood is dependent upon conditions and the body itself is a condition you know a sensitive form in space so space is here and now but space is it can be perceived we can actually as we just look use our abilities to see to just see the space around yourself or in the temple here it's like this and so we think the temple is a big space or if there's a crowd of people then it's not big enough space but space is not about doesn't have a size space has no size to it the building has a size it's a big building or a small building according to other conditions if we were to hold an international buddhist conference here it would be a that the temple would be a small space but generally it's it's a space quite is quite a spacious space for most of us who live here so even the sense of space we we uh, we give qualities to big or small wide long beautiful ugly these are the words that we've learned after we're born to apply to what we like or dislike what we see hear smell taste touch what we think that is pleasant or painful good or bad so is consciousness good or bad you know we 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 take for granted consciousness so we, we because we, that's what we're experiencing all the time is conscious awareness consciousness which can be filled with clinging to forms clinging to the body clinging to the views and opinions to what we see hear smell taste touch what we uh, conceive of perceive through the senses so this attachment to forms to condition phenomena because all conditions are impermanent and then have when the buddha inquired uh, encouraged us to have faith in this teaching it doesn't mean in the english word faith can convey a kind of blind belief because the buddha said so it's right but sada or the pali word sada not about belief but a kind of trust to be investigated to be proven so the teachings are are not beliefs that we grasp to become buddhists but they they're teachings pointing to the here and now pachubanantama the reality of conscious awareness 
here and now, timeless, that we can't perceive, that we can't visualize or feel with our bodies or through our senses, but we, we can awaken to it from the sleep, from the delusion, from the illusions that we're usually binding ourselves to. So anicca then, dukkha, unsatisfactoriness, suffering, or whatever definition you prefer, it conveys, what does that mean? That when we translate the Pali word dukkha as suffering, then we, we think of COVID fevers as suffering, as getting old as suffering, as uh, hunger as suffering. So suffering usually has just about the a very negative, uh, unwanted experience through through the senses, through the body and its and its senses. But dukkha is much wider meaning than that. It's you know unsatisfactory, like all conditions that are born cease; they're impermanent. So you can't have any kind of permanent satisfaction through the condition that we are attached to. So no matter how healthy or beautiful or youthful or gifted you might be as an individual person, you can't sustain that. You know, so the very grasping of physical appearance leads to suffering because even if one's gifted with extraordinary good looks, physical beauty and extremely good health, then COVID pandemic comes along and says, ha ha, look, good health can easily become bad health because of the nature of this realm of conditioned phenomena is basically unsatisfying. And when we realize this, then it's not depressing. Suffering in, the, in this sense is, is just the way it is. It, it's not something that we can, you know, complain about. We can complain about it, then we suffer. We want it to be otherwise. So in modern society, you know, we people have asked me many times the question about why is uh, Buddhism, Buddhist meditation, or mindfulness practices, teachings like this, Advaita Vedanta, why has it suddenly become such a subject of interest in countries like the UK or in European European countries or America, Australia? where, you know, in the previous, there was no interest whatsoever in it. Just a few people might find Buddhism interesting, but most, the majority wouldn't. Why in these past 50 years has been a sudden people, like many of you, coming to ordain as Buddhist monks, Buddhist nuns, living in affluent societies like 
the UK, where, you know, they've tried to, you know, the efforts of modern society, democratic values and, and human rights issues and all the rest are attempts to make everything better you know, on the conditioned realm, to try to be fair and just and, and equal and, and where there's no any kind of misery in the society. We want medical government, uh, national health is, is a great gift to us here in the UK. So, <clears throat> And yet, with modern life, the stress, one of the words that is most commonly used that people complain about, why they come to practice meditation here at Amavati, they feel stressed in a modern society, in a city like London or other places, with all the high-tech and modern conveniences and safeguards and democratic laws and human rights efforts at making our human existence equal and fair is still stressful because of dukkha. That's the nature of phenomena. Because even in a well-run society, democratic society, you still get old, get sick and die. And then things are changing that are, we think are not fair, it shouldn't be. People are, are conditioned through, to believe in, in all kinds of illusions that are available. So we have political views, the right and the left, and, and uh, views about religion, about class, about race, about gender. And all these views are conditioned into us when we're born. Like a newborn baby doesn't have any views, has no racial perceptions of being anything other than conscious form as an infant is like this. It doesn't think that because it's just a natural form in consciousness that is innocent. So what we really enjoy about young children is that their innocence, their spontaneity. And we lose that as we grow older. We lose innocence and spontaneity. We become conditioned through trial and error, through reward and punishment, modern education, religious perceptions, political views, class identities, modern movements. You know, we take sides, we have preferences. And some of those are very good and some are foolish, but it's still conditioned phenomena that, that in terms of Anicca, in terms of impermanence, they come and go and change according to other conditions. And when we attach to 
to our ideals and not aware of, a, of this attachment to ideals, then we, as we grow older, we become cynical and bitter because no matter how hard we try to make everything fair and just and vote for the right leaders of the country and say our prayers and do our pujas, no matter how hard we try to to uh, perfect the world, the worldly conditions we're experiencing, the basic delusion is that I, I am this form, this physical body. And so that, you you know, is is to be questioned. Are you really a physical form? Is that what you are? Is that your real identity? So this is a way of investigating. So the form, with something born, grows up, gets old, and dies, and then we we feel we identify with its age, with its gender, with its size, with its color, and these are all strong identities that create conflicts with other people who hold opposite views, prejudices of various sorts that they that are highly conditioned and grasped and believed in. So in terms of bhavana or meditation, ask yourself, are you, am I really this, this body sitting here? It's a convention, yes, it is like this. But I don't have that much control over it. And so, you know, the old age is like this. And so you're reflecting on the way it is rather than being attached to a view of yourself as a physical presence that is no longer young and no longer fit and so forth. And you see yourself in terms of the perceptions of old age. And the impending demise of the form, the end of the form or death. So what does that create in the mind? People afraid of death, fear of death. What happens when, when the body dies? What will happen to me when, when I drop dead, when this body passes away? What happens to Ajahn Sumato when, when the body, when his physical body decays or gets cremated? And so, you know, you can think about it. Now we have certain stories or beliefs about death. You know, about how you'll be reborn again according to your karma. That's one belief. But do any of us really know that? Or do we believe in reincarnation or rebirth? 
these are words that we've acquired in this particular religious tradition. At this moment, you know, death for all of us is a perception about the future. So in this way, we're reflecting on the way it is here and now, because the here and now is where what is deathless. The here and now, consciousness, awareness, here and now, is unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. And if it wasn't, if there was no unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, there'd be no escape. We'd be stuck in just the, the birth, old age, and decay and death of these forms and conditions that we experience through the senses. So what does unborn mean? Can you imagine, can you create an image of unborn? Just try with your intellect, with your ability to create thoughts. Can you create an image in your mind at this moment of the unborn? Because the unborn is just a negation of the born. And if there was not the unborn, there'd, no, there'd be no liberation, escape from the born. What does that mean? This is a very important teaching of the Buddha. So when we identify with the born, then we are bound to, to suffer because the sense of a separate self is the illusion that I am this form, this is what I am. I'm this, this physical form sitting here in this chair. That's the illusion of conditioning. That's a society reinforces that whole illusion. We see each other in terms of, you know, what we look like, a presence, and whether we're men or women or whatever the appearance, this is, this is what we identify as this person is like this, that person is like that, that's a good person, that's not a good person. We, we give, uh, we use adjectives to describe our preferences or our prejudices in regards to phenomena. But the unborn, you can't conceive, it's inconceivable. So when I came across this teaching in my early years of monastic life, there's the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. And if there was not the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, there'd be no escape from the born that created the form, the condition. And in my early monastic life, I really wanted to escape from the born that created the form of the condition. Whether, you know, you go to heaven and live for happily ever after, or whatever beliefs that one is uh, instilled with, 
in one's youth, there is a desire to for the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. What is the, even the Christian view of heaven is a, is using superlatives where you 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 go to a place where there's no suffering, where it's, everything's beautiful and you're happy forevermore. So that's uh, that's heaven. That's a heavenly thought. But is the experience of life that we experience is it heavenly? At moments we experience where everything is pleasant and beautiful and what we like and pleasant relationships, harmonious relationships and so forth, but then that changes. Because planet Earth and human society is always in conflict. And there's endless conflicts going on between people who have the same beliefs or the same view, the same conditioning. So even in Buddhist circles, you know, with various Buddhists, with the various Theravadan Buddhists, there's conflicts. Because we, we're grasping the forms of Buddhism and we don't always see these forms in the same way. We interpret them differently. So we can even, you know, in uh, in religious, in all religions, there's these these sectarian conflicts. So what is the unborn here and now? And then the, you can't imagine it. You can't see it. You can't hear it smell it, taste it, touch it. So the unborn is what we really are. We were never born, actually. This might be shocking to you, but totally confusing. But when you examine, when you investigate with these teachings the Buddha has left us, then we begin to Realize it's not just believe in, you know, it's not another ego uh, assumption that I'm the unborn as a person. So this, uh, in this particular tradition, the Thai forest tradition, and Lumpa Cha's emphasis on the Bhutto, the witnessing. Bhutto is a mantra form of the Buddha's name, so it means awareness here and now. So the word Buddha itself is it's not just referring to a sage of the past or to a religious system, but Bhutto is apparent here and now, witnessing it's like this. And when we say this to ourselves when we open to the present moment the way it is, the words, it's like this, is not, it doesn't describe anything, it doesn't, it's not a judgment about whether this moment is pleasant or painful. It's like this. So we begin to open this open awareness 
wide open awareness. Sati Sampatanya in the Pali words is the way we realize the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. So we're not asked to believe in some abstract idea of unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, just another belief in some kind of abstract words. Because they're, they're not particularly inspiring. We'd say, the unborn is universal love or cosmic consciousness, those are more inspiring words. So, in a, but the unborn is pretty bleak, isn't it? It's, it? It doesn't leave much space for idealizing anything. Where universal love or eternal happiness that those are words that can inspire us and we want to believe in them. But just take the bare, the bare teachings of the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. And just notice when you try to imagine the unborn, you can't do it. It's empty. Because imagination, words that we have learned, no matter how marvelous they might be, are limited forms. They're basically unsatisfactory. So when we live in a realm of words and ideas and concepts and beliefs, then we do, we're going to suffer because we're attaching to things that change, that depend on other conditions that have no real essence, no heart, no soul, nothing, you know, we can imagine, like each individual person in this temple has a separate soul that will, you know, if they become enlightened, they will live forever in the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. We could create images of perfection, but just the bare, reflection on the English words, unborn. It's impossible to imagine it. And you begin to awaken to that, where you're not imagining anything, it's empty, but it's conscious and aware. Consciousness and awareness, here and now, that has no form. So you begin to realize you're not a form, you're not a condition. When you begin to realize and take refuge in this Dhamma, in the reality of here and now, the forms still have to go through their phases of old age, sickness and death, but they're no longer what we attach to and depend on. So even in, in sickness, or disability, or old age, you know, the forms, they're supposed to change. They, 
they decay, they disintegrate. That's what they're supposed to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing bad about it. It's just the way forms rise and cease, like your inhalation, your exhalation. So in my own practice over the years, I, I really uh, like to investigate the, these teachings of the Buddha, use them because they're, that's what they're meant to, what the Buddha meant them for, is to be used. They're the key to the prison cell. And just grasping a key to a prison cell doesn't mean you ever get out of the prison. You might worship the key, put it on, uh, on the high on the wall and bow to it every day. But the key is a practical tool to open the locked door. And that's what the Buddha's words are, the key to open the locked door of suffering by this illusion that, that we are these limited forms and that's our fate, our karma. We identify, you know, even the way in the West we use the word karma. That's our fate, you know. I, and in previous life I did something and I'm paying for it in this life. This is still thinking and imagining. So you can imagine anything about past lives, believe in anything you want, because it's, it can be interesting, it can be scary, but these are emotions that arise and cease according to other conditions. So when I really became aware, I couldn't Imagine unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. And the escape hatch from the born, the created, the formed, the conditioned. How do you get out of this trap, this illusory trap of birth and death, of these delicate, sensitive forms that we were stuck with for a lifetime? on planet Earth as it changes, its climate's changing, conditions are changing. And how do we control that? How can we make planet Earth a heaven realm, you know, where we can control the climate just through modern science, where we can create perfect citizens through modern psychiatry, psychology, through all the, the uh, artificial intelligence perfecting society so that none of us have to do laborious work, but these robots do all these, the dirty work around the planet and we sit and just enjoy the beauty, the, the uh, perfection of planet Earth is a, is a fantasy beyond belief.
So this awakening, this puto, just the word itself means to be aware here and now. So it's not complicated. It's not asking that you have to develop a whole uh, refined way of looking at life and develop all kinds of psychic powers and, and refined uh, concentrated states. Because right now we're aware it's like this. And the first noble truth is a statement of that. Suffering is so banal, so ordinary a truth. You know, it's not like uh, if I say the unborn, uncreated, unformed, then, then that is, there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned. That's the truth. But most people can't relate to that because they're so conditioned, so bound to the form that created the, uh, and, and they, and the, what's born, that they, they have no way of reflecting on the unborn and realizing their true nature. So the Buddha, to his five disciples in his first sermon in Varanasi, is there not? So there is suffering, which is quite an ordinary human experience. Most of us, all of us, in fact, have experienced suffering. Has COVID pandemic been suffering for us? You know, whether you get the, the, the COVID pandemic disease or not, you know, the, the quarantine, the restraint, the mask wearing, the, the vaccinations, the, the whole uh, news media is full of, of how many people died from this pandemic. And then we're attached to these forms that can easily get these, these diseases. There's tremendous concern now in, in Europe with the Russians on the borders of Ukraine threatening invasion and all the uh, propaganda around in what to do if Russia invades Ukraine. You know, it'd be a horrible kind of experience of another demoralizing war where a lot of people get murdered and slaughtered. Over what? Over borders of land, national identities, political uh, obsessions, identities with property. It's all an illusion, you know, none of it's realistic. And yet we're faced with, with the constant news of these dangerous, uh, these dangers that are lurking around us. Because samsara or the conditioned realm is like this. It's a, it's totally undependable. It's changing. So what, you know, just appreciating the sun. The sun is in the same space as we are. The sun is a condition. What if the sun 
goes out? What if it loses all its power and fire and dies? Then we're all dead. The whole system is gone. So how dependent are we on just the power of the sun making life in the forms that we identify with possible? Because without the sun, without the space the sun is in, without consciousness, there's, there's nothing left, but it's beyond imagination. So what is beyond imagination is the gate to the deathless, the gateway to the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned, Dhamma. And Dhamma then, you can translate Dhamma as bliss. As you begin to really appreciate not thinking, not attaching to thoughts or perceptions, non-grasping, non-desire, what's left when you let go of all conditions, all phenomena? You don't destroy them, you're not annihilating, it's not an annihilation of conditions, but it's no longer believing in them, holding to them, identifying with them, and experience the incessant changingness of those conditions. So the deathless, we talk about the deathless, aparuta desang amatasatawara, the gate, the door to the deathless is open. This was a proclamation made by the Buddha when he was enlightened. What, is, what does he mean by the, the gate to the deathless? What is that for you, for me, here and now? It's an inspiring statement. It inspired me years ago. The gate to the deathless. What is it? Is it some gate we have to find through seeing or thinking or feeling? or believing. Trust in this. This is, a, this is a proclamation of truth. The gate to the deathless is open. And then what does that really mean in practical terms for us, each one of us as separate individuals, is mindfulness, wisdom, here and now. So it's so simple, but then we have to deal with uh, the complications of our complicated personalities, our social conditioning, and our belief systems, and the physical uh, experiences that we have through the bodies, that we've been highly conditioned since we were born to believe is what we these limitations is what we are. So the third characteristic of all, of existence is anatta, not self. There's no separate self. This conscious awareness isn't personal. The unborn, uncreated, unformed, unconditioned is not personal. It's not a belief. 
it's the best they can do in, with language to convey, to point to awareness here and now, conscious awareness here and now, consciousness is here and now, space is here and now, the body is in space, the bodies depend on space, and if there was no space, there'd be no forms. So the formed realm depend on space for their existence. Space and forms depend on consciousness or on Dhamma. This magic word in Pali language, which you can't define really. You can't, you, you know, trying to to imagine Dhamma in some form, you can't really do it. You have symbols for it, like the Dhamma Jaka, the wheel of Dhamma. So when we take refuge in the Dhamma, we're not really, it's not a refuge on a personal level, it's a reminder to trust in awareness here and now. So in ceremonial terms, we say tamang sarnangachama, take refuge in the Dhamma. But what is the Dhamma? And then you have words like supreme reality, ultimate reality. These are superlative words, reality and ultimate and supreme. Or the most supreme, you know, you get into where superlatives are impossible, to get more superlative than that is impossible because the very best is the limitation in thought. Ultimate reality, what does that mean? We take refuge in some kind of abstract idea of ultimate reality that we, we can't really know or realize for ourselves. So in belief in Dhamma, is it's a good belief if you're going to believe in something. Believe in God is a good belief, or, you know, there are beliefs that are very good, very inspiring. But getting beyond belief into sati-sampatanya, awareness here and now, it's like this. It's not inspiring, but you might call it bliss in the in a sense that it's peaceful. It's real. It's not created. All this sense of being separate and isolated and lonely and lost in the form and and identified with the society, with other people, with families, with nations and all with races and so forth all this falls away these identities are merely illusions so we're not we see the suffering caused through clinging to illusions not by getting rid of them but by understanding suffering 
something that we can easily observe through awareness and this understanding of suffering doesn't mean to define the word doesn't mean intellectual understanding because we understand the word but to understand something you have to really observe it notice it's like this and how we don't want it. We don't want to suffer. We want happiness. So desire for happiness is like this. Desire to get rid of suffering is like this. And as these habit patterns of thought and reactivity and desire manifest, they also cease in conscious awareness. And what is left when everything is ceased, when there's no grasping, is bliss. Or happiness, if you want to use that word. Universal love, it's, it's everything belongs. It's no longer discriminating and judging and, and uh, trying to divide everything into good and bad, heaven and hell. So apparent, Dhamma, Santitiko Dhamma, apparent here and now, is Sati Sampatanya, the gate to the deathless. So in this winter's retreat, you know, this is an encouragement. I'm meaning this with good intentions to encourage you to, to really investigate reality that you're experiencing. So I offer this as a reflection.